series. I want you to get your Bible turned to Jonah. We're still in our series. Jonah chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. Today we're talking about the blinding consequences of unforgiveness. Blinding consequences of unforgiveness. Week 1. Real quick recap, week one was Jonah's most expensive trip. You remember that? How much it cost to run from God. Number two, we talked about how the cost is paid. How did Jonah pay that cost? Week three, we talked about the supernatural results of obedience. That once he was obedient to God, then that, that is always supernatural what happens, what follows from there. Today, we're going to talk about the blinding consequences of unforgiveness. So so in our story, Jonah has finally, uh, after a violent storm and being swallowed by a fish, he's finally repented and he's gotten his mind right and he's being obedient and he's being used to the Lord. He's gone to preach to the city, that, that city God called the great city of Nineveh. And the response is is truly supernatural, like we said it would be last week. 120,000 people have repented of their wickedness. This is a major revival. If something like this happened in our generation, you could be sure it would be the front cover story of Christianity today. It would, in any circles of Christian media... Uh, it would be the top story. It would be what they were talking about. If you think uh, several years ago Brownsville was a big deal, and it was, and if you think it was, you can only imagine what this was like in this time when the word starts getting out that the city of Nineveh, who is known for their wickedness, known for their violence, that all 120,000 of the inhabitants have repented and they're over there in sackcloth and ashes and they've even wrapped up the cows and pigs in gunny sacks and making them fast like everybody else. This was truly a revival and something to see. Major miracle, all right? Can't even, it's hard to imagine a revival like that today. Especially without the media that that we have now, they didn't have access to those kinds of things. This is simply one guy walking around the city telling them that in 40 days they're going to be destroyed and them believing it and there being enough power and anointing behind that message for them to believe this and to repent. They don't have TV, no books. It's just one guy walking around preaching and they're repenting. So, Jonah is right now the most successful evangelist in the world. What is his response to all of this success? He is the man. Text, Jonah 4, verse 1. Jonah was very upset about this, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord. Lord, isn't this what I said would happen when I was still in my own country? That's why I tried to run to Tarsus in the first place. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God. You're patient and always ready to forgive. Reconsider your threats of destruction. So now, Lord, take my life. I'd rather be dead than alive. Kind of a strange response for the guy who is the most successful evangelist in the world. 
I read that and I just say, I said, wow, and backwards, wow. You know? Look at, look at the sequence in Jonah's life at this point. We go back to where we started. Let's go back. God calls Jonah. Jonah runs. God catches Jonah. Jonah pays. God calls Jonah. Jonah goes. God instructs Jonah. Jonah obeys. God saves the city of Nineveh through Jonah. And Jonah, well, that's where we are today. That's where we are today. He's not shouting and praising, is he? He hated Nineveh. He hated these folks. These were his people's greatest enemies. When God had promised to destroy the whole city if they didn't if they didn't repent, that's exactly what He wanted God to do. That part had never changed. He He may have ran for the call, eventually obeyed, and went and preached the message, but He never He never wanted the outcome to be what God wanted the outcome to be. He just simply did what God told Him to do. But He was preaching, and the whole time He's preaching, He's hoping that they'll ignore this message. He's patriotic to His own people. He, if, there, if, if he does anything to help these people, he's going to be seen as a traitor to his country. But now God has saved them. He's actually saved these folks. They, they're repenting. They're, they're praying. They're fasting. So Jonah goes outside the city, and he builds himself a shelter, and he sits down, and he's just sitting there to wait in hopes that God will still kill them anyway. Well, he saved them, but maybe he'll still kill them. I mean, he's thinking there might be some redeemable grace in this. I may have preached a message. They might have gotten saved. They might all go to heaven, but maybe they'll still all get killed. Then I can at least go home. Nobody would know I preached and they got saved. Maybe they'll think I prophesied and they got killed. I, I can still go home. So he's sitting there. With this dilemma. They've responded and now what am I going to do? God you said you were going to kill them. Go ahead. But he knows in his heart. That God is compassionate. And that God is merciful. He's patient and he's forgiving. So now all of this catches us up to the text that we just read. And Jonah in this text begins to pray a very selfish prayer. Now, I know no one in this room has ever prayed a selfish prayer. David prayed a few selfish prayers. You know why God doesn't answer yes to every prayer you pray? Because sometimes your prayers are selfish. So sometimes God answers yes, sometimes no, sometimes wait. Sometimes maybe. David prayed prayers. You remember some of David's prayers? David prayed, 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 prayed that one and said, God, kill every one of the men there. And he used a lot more vulgar terms than I just did to tell it. He said, God, I pray you'll kill every one of them. Every one of the men in that town, he said. And God didn't do it. Why? It's because he didn't love David? No, it's because he loved all the guys in that town too. God doesn't answer those selfishly motivated prayers the way you want him to. So Jonah has four responses to the greatest revival in the history of mankind. 
Let's look at these responses. I want you to write them down. Jonah's first response to success is this. He says, I'm upset. I know none of us have ever been upset and especially never been upset with God. That would be sacrilegious. That would be frightening. You ever tried to be mad at God without God finding out? Because you was afraid if he found out he might strike you dead with lightning. Which he's not going to do because he understands you. He built you. He knows how you're hardwired. He created you. He knows why you think the way you think. He even knows how you're going to think in given circumstances. But still yet, in my mind, I've had those days where, man, I'm not happy about this. I've just, I'm I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to die over it, but I'm still not happy about it, huh? Jonah says, I'm upset. I'm just upset. This is his prayer. He's being honest with God. I'm upset. You ever been upset like this? I mean, really upset? I, I tell you, there's one thing to get perturbed about something and then get over it. But some people just live in a constant state of being upset. It's a miserable way to live. Every time you talk to them, they're upset about something. Invariably, something is wrong, either at home or at church or at work. But they're always upset about something. You can't please them. I'm telling you, their life must be a waste of time because all they do is be upset about something. Their world is never right. You get to the point where you don't even want to ask them, how are you doing? Because you can't bear the negativity of finding out. You know anybody like that? Don't point. Just stay in a constant state of being upset about something. Once there was a little boy who wouldn't eat his green beans. And mama said, eat those green beans or you're going to get punished. And he just flat not going to eat them. She'd tried threatening. She'd tried every modern known way of counting. That works, doesn't it? I'm going to count to six only one more time. If I get to six this time, then I'm going to, next time I'm counting to 10. And yet he wouldn't eat his green beans. So finally, she could not motivate, manipulate, or any other way get him to eat his green beans. So she pulled God into the equation and she said, I'm not the only one upset about this. The fact that you will not eat these green beans has even upset God in heaven. Now go to your room and think about how he's upset with you. So the little boy went in his room and he's sitting on his bed. While he was sitting there, a violent thunderstorm broke out. Lightning, thunder, rain, hail. So bad that the mama's starting to be frightened by this herself. And she's thinking, surely this little one in there in his room, he's probably really scared. So she's sensing this. She thinks, I better go check on him. So she goes in, opens the door to look. She's going to say something to him before she could. She could see him, and he's standing at the window, hands in his pocket, and he's mumbling under his breath. And he said, really, God, such a fuss over a few green beans. Some people... Just stay upset all the time. 
it can be over something as little as some green beans. Whatever it is, it's always something, but they stay upset. Jonah said, I'm just upset about this whole thing. He said, I'm not even just upset, but he said, I'm angry about it too. I've gone beyond being upset to the fact now I'm just flat mad. I've thought about it till I've got myself worked up to a tizzy and I'm angry about it. Again, we know people that are always angry. And you know what the source of their anger is? Someone else. Someone has said something. Someone has, someone is always doing something to this person. Someone keeps them angry all the time. It's not the, always the same someone, but it's always someone. It's never themselves. I'm just angry because somebody's out to get me. Somebody's done me wrong. Somebody deserves to pay for this. Someone, someone, someone. So let me tell you another story, all right? A little girl who's writing a paper at school, and she's supposed to be able to write a paper to explain the difference between anger and exasperation. So she says to her dad, i got to write this paper. Tell me, Dad, what's the difference between anger and exasperation? He said, well, it's really basically a matter of degree. And he said, let me show you what I'm talking about. So he gets out his cell phone. And he dials a random number. The guy on the other end says hello. And the dad says to his daughter, hello, is Melvin there? And the guy says, no, there's nobody here by the name of Melvin. This is a wrong number. And the guy hangs up and the dad says to his daughter, now that is annoyed. Let me show you anger. Calls the number back again. The guy says, hello. And he says, yeah, is Melvin there? He said, I told you a minute ago, there's nobody here named Melvin. You're getting on my nerves. Stop calling this number. And he hangs it up and the dad says, that is anger. Now let me show you exasperation. So he calls the number again. The man on the other end violently screams, what? And the guy says, hey, this is Melvin. Has anybody there called for me lately? held out the phone, said to the girl, that is exasperation. Some folks just stay in a constant state of anger, don't they? Just everything that happens makes them angry. There's a, I don't always talk about my, my television watching, but there, there's one show that I kind of like. I've been I've, I've been watching it at least. I watched this season of it called Alone. Y'all seen that? Where they take these people, they took them out to Vancouver Island, they left them out there, and they, whoever could stay out there the longest without seeing another person wins. And sometimes I'm like, I think I could do that. I mean, if I had the survival skills, right? The alone thing sounds really good every once in a while. <laughs> so the guy that just won it was a 50-year-old missionary. He won $500,000 for staying out there by himself for like 70 days.
it's, there was one guy on the show who was far different than the missionary. The missionary, you know, he's, he's exasperated from time to time. He's trying to find food. They don't have any food. They're trying to find food. But there was one particular guy on that show who was just the epitome of this person I'm talking about being angry. Every time they went to poor Larry, dude cussed. He cussed every, I mean, they, they couldn't even, you know how they always have to bleep out the words? And it would, and Larry would say, I'm, beep, 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 beep. And, and he's throwing logs. He's kicking trees. He cussed the whole time he was out there. Just cussed and throwing things and screaming and crying and cussing. Till he finally broke down at the end and prayed for a while. And he's saying, God help me. God's like, we quit cussing me and maybe I'm, Maybe I'd be able to help you a little, you know. Some folks just are angry. I mean, and it doesn't take nothing for them to get there. Why is that? Why is it that a per- that you know somebody can just go from here to just crazy angry like that? Why? Because something's going on in there real deep down inside. Something has happened in them that has caused them to go from being upset to being constantly angry. And if they're not careful, they'll become the third one that Jonah was, and that was bitter. Bitter. Bitterness. It's the act of harboring unforgiveness. Something may have happened 50 years ago, and they're still bitter about it. Or it may have been two weeks ago or 15 minutes ago. The bottom line is a bitter person can hang on to bitterness for a long time. Sometimes they may not even remember, truly remember why they're that way. They've just become that way over time, and they hang on to it. Bitterness. And to hear them tell it, they're going to be bitter until vengeance has been exacted upon that perpetrator. The problem is this. The vengeance can never be grave enough for the bitter person to think so. You understand what I'm saying? They could, the person that offended them could be taken out and their ears could be cut off. They could pull out all their hair one by one, put them in prison, starve them, beat them, break all their legs and arms. And the bitter person would still be like, well, that's not enough. They need to be, they need to suffer. They hurt my feelings. They hurt my feelings. They should be killed. That's what bitterness will do to you. The blinding consequence of unforgiveness. Huh? The offender. Until what? Until, the, until this offender has been punished to the extent that the offended deems necessary, which is never harsh enough, this person will remain bitter. What is bitterness? What's it look like? Did you ever hear the story about the guy who got bit by a rabid dog and they rushed him to the hospital? He's laying on the table and the doctor's examining his leg and he reaches over and he grabs a legal pad and the dude is just feverishly scribbling on this pad. And the doc's watching this. He's like, man, this guy thinks he's going to die, you know. And this man is just scribbling, scribbling, writing, writing, feverishly writing. And finally the doc says, hey, buddy, settle down, man. He said, you know, when we get done with this, you're probably going to need some shots. But, but you're going to live. You don't need to be making out no will. The guy said, I'm not making out a will. 
I'm writing down the names of everybody I want to bite while I have rabies. That's bitterness. People didn't laugh at that are bitter. I wish he'd get bit by a rabid dog. Hmm. Jonah's just bitter to the point that he said, I wish I could just die. His fourth response to this success was, I am suicidal. Wow. How dangerous is unforgiveness? How dangerous is unforgiveness left unchecked in your life? Pastor, are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. You can go from being upset to angry to bitter to suicidal. I'm so angry. I'm so mad. I'm so upset for so long that I just wish I was dead. If they're not going to die, I wish I'd just die. I just can't take this anymore. Mm. Because the vengeance has never been exacted on someone that they think should have, or justice has never come the way they should have, they thought it should, the health of their body and their mind and their spirit has deteriorated so bad that they're either slowly killing themselves or else they've started to wish that they were dead. There was a guy named William Walton. He made this statement years ago. He said this kind of slow killing of oneself could be compared to being stung to death by one bee. Think about that for a minute. How long would it take? How miserable would it be for one bee to sting you until it killed you? That's what unforgiveness left unchecked does in a person's life. To the point that you are slowly killing yourself. Let me ask you this. Do you think that the person that offended you is stressing about this? They probably don't even know you're upset. They probably don't even know. That's what makes you so mad. Every time you see them, they, you think, I saw so-and-so again. They still didn't apologize. They don't even know they owe you an apology. They might even thank your buddies. They might go back and tell their husband or wife, hey, I just saw so-and-so, man, we had a great talk. You go home, tell your family, I wish he was dead. I wish I was dead. Hmm? And he don't even know it. How many people are going through their lives with this kind of unforgiveness and it's just robbing their energy and it's robbing their joy and it's robbing their life. It's robbing their future because they can't get past what somebody else did or said. You can't control anybody else. You can't control what they say or what they do or how they hurt you. But I'll tell you this. If you don't forgive them and move on, you're the one that's going to suffer. Pastor, I can't forgive them. I can't forgive them. Well, you just don't understand forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you go to them and say, it's okay what you did to me. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't even for the other person. It's for yourself. You forgive them so you can move on. 
whether they don't, they might not even accept your forgiveness. It's not your problem. Your job was to forgive and move on so you could be released from the shackles and the chains of the heaviness of carrying this burden. It's not that you have to be, you say, well, I thought I had to be willing to go to them and say, uh, it's okay the way you hurt me. Maybe it's not okay the way they hurt you. Maybe it's not okay. But you're still going to have to forgive them even as Jesus forgave us. Look how you offended him. Look how you offend Jesus sometimes today, even as believers. Even as Christians, look how you sometimes offend him. And yet, he says, I unconditionally love you. And I choose to forgive you. Mm. It's insanity, Jonah. What we're doing to ourselves is outrageous. Unforgiveness is what causes people to be upset and angry and bitter and even suicidal. And Jonah had told God, he said, I would rather be dead than alive. God must have been thinking, why? In fact, he said, what right do you have to be so angry? What right do you have to feel this way? And God, in God's mind, he, he's reeling off all the things. He, think about what he had done for Jonah just since Jonah started being disobedient. I've loved you. I came after you. I restored you. I called you. I used you. I protected you. I gave you huge success, none of which you deserve. What have I missed here? The bottom line is this. Unforgiveness blinds a person. Unforgiveness will blind you so that you cannot see the mercy and the goodness and the fairness of God. If you are living in a state of unforgiveness, you can't see those qualities of God. They're there. He is good. He is fair. He is merciful. He is loving, compassionate kind, forgiving, consider He is. All the time he is, you just aren't able to see it right now because of the state of your mind and your heart. Unforgiveness will do that to you. This message is not over. I thought we were going to go four weeks, but it looks like we're going to go five because this is a really good place to stop. And we'll pick it back up next week. Is that all right with you? Any of you that have come back next week, we'll hit it again. We'll figure out what happens to poor old Jonah. But let's not, let's not skip on over. I mean, we could keep on rolling, but why? We have found ourselves at a place right here. We have found ourselves at a point where that we need to contend with the word in our spirit. Why move on? Maybe there's somebody here who's dealing with one or maybe all of these things as a cycle in your life. Pastor, I'm upset. Pastor, I'm angry. I'm bitter. And maybe some even who would say, I just don't want to keep living like this. I'm so angry. I don't want to live like this. And I would say, truly for a minute, stop praying your selfish prayer of God, kill them all. Get them back. If you'll get them back for me, I'll start having a better attitude. Stop praying that prayer and instead pray a prayer that says, Lord, I know you're good and I know you're fair. And I'm sorry for my bad attitude. Help me forgive my enemies the way you forgive me. I don't want to be blind anymore to what is true.
And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because how, who of us wants everybody to know, yes, Pastor, I'm the one that's just to- I'm angry at everyone and everybody just stinks and I wish they were all dead. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and be that person. <laughs> what I am going to do is say to you, to the church, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask you as a church to respond to this word so that the people among us who really need to can without us knowing who they are. Because there's some people here right now who really want to get on their knees and tell God, God, I'm so tired of carrying this burden. I'm so tired of carrying this load. How desperately I want to be free from this, God. I just, I want to forgive. I want to move on. But if we sit here and we call them out and make them come forward and then we all sit around and watch them down here, they're not coming. Let's make it easy for somebody today to be able to come down with the crowd so that we don't know who's who. Some of you that say, I never get up and come to the front. I don't need to. I'm just going to sit in my chair. I'm asking you today, would you consider, would you consider coming to the altar today or, or, or going around, you know how we do, we go and we pray all over the building or would you consider today responding in some way so that you can set the pace for those who really are dealing with this word and they want it they really want to right now they want to get on their knees they don't want to wait till tomorrow they don't want they would really like to have a chance to respond to the word because they don't want to keep carrying this burden so let's all together let's all respond and give them a chance let's they, nobody's going to know who anybody is but if you're that person you're saying this word is for me I'm tired of this and I'm ready. I'm ready to bring this to the Lord. I'm ready. I'm ready to be free from all this unforgiveness. I'm ready to lay this at his feet. I'm ready to move on. Then don't let this opportunity get by. Amen. So all across the building, would you stand? Stand to your feet. Neil's going to lead us in the song. And as he leads us, these altars are open. I want as many of you as will respond. So everybody that needs to can. Does that make sense? And let's respond by this time of, of, of time in the altars and prayer. Amen. God bless you.